from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CRI It Figures podcast. This is going to be another governmental episode where we're addressing some COVID-19 related Q&As. My name is Robert Lemon. I'm an audit partner in the Gainesville office and, and I've done a lot of government work and I've done a lot of research on this COVID subject. And uh, with me today, I've got three, three assistants. First one is Ray Roberts. Ray, for people who haven't listened before, do you want to introduce yourself, please? Sure. My name is Ray Roberts from the Albuquerque, New Mexico office of Car Rigs and Ingram. And uh, I happen to be the, the industry line leader for the government practice. And we're the furthest out west of anybody in car rigs, but we do feel part of the team. And I'm glad that Rob invited me to this podcast today. Thank you, Ray. And we are glad to have you. You've always got some excellent answers and information. So thank you for joining Back with us as well, Ray, is, as you know, Becky Hammond. She was on one of our first podcasts and has been very busy working on this COVID stuff for a while, but she's she's found a bit of time to, to join us. So, so Becky, for, for people who haven't listened before, do you want to quickly introduce yourself, please? Thanks, Rob. This is Becky Hammond. I am a audit partner in the New Orleans office. I've spent most of my career doing uh, primarily governmental audits and single audits and lots of governmental consulting. I've also been one of the, the first in our firm to do some CARES Act funding consulting. So I'm excited to be here today. Thank you, Becky. And we are excited to have you because we know you've been really working very hard and getting very involved with all the, the CARES Act work. So we know you've got some good stuff to share with us here today. Last person with us today is David Alvarez. David, do you want to quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is David Alvarez. I'm an audit partner in our Tampa, Florida office. Um, I lead our government practice in our Tampa Bay uh, region. Um, Rob, as you know, you and I you know, kind of combined work with a lot of our Florida governments on COVID consulting, and there's been a lot of movement there. So happy to, happy to be a part of the team today. Awesome. Well, I am really pleased to, uh, you know, got some really smart people uh, that are going to educate me a little bit today because I've got some Q&As that I want to fire, fire at you guys to, to get more informed about how this coronavirus relief fund money is being administered and distributed in the various places. And, and, and Becky, like I say, excited to have you. So I want to start with you and, and tell us a little bit about what you've learned from, from all the work you've been doing and, and what, what's the latest with the coronavirus relief fund distributions in your state of Louisiana? So here in Louisiana, um, we got about $1.8 billion. Um, and originally, $800 million of that was basically going to be passed down to municipalities and local governmental units. Um, however, the legislature here decided to take about $300 million away and give it to small businesses uh, in the form of grants. So at this point, we basically have only 525 million left that is being passed out and allocated to all of the parishes in our state. Um, they basically did an allocation using COVID case counts, uh, 
I'm using 70% of that information plus 30% by population and um, allocated that out across the, the state in several windows or tranches as we're calling them. Um, so at this point, the second tranche window just closed. So we've basically included all uh, expenses from March 1st through June 30th in two different tranches. Uh, those results aren't back yet on the second tranche, but in the first tranche of, of 236 million allocated to all the various parishes, they only approved 147 million. So um, we are gonna have to you know, look closely at how much money is gonna be remaining through the rest of the tranches. The initial expectations are that this second tranche is gonna be a lot larger than the first um, because of the timing delays and concerns with, with getting all of this information requested and, and all pulled together. Um, it, it's been a challenge to get it done this quickly. So I think Louisiana is kind of further along than, than most other states at this point, you know, having already gone through two different windows of, of reimbursement requests. Yeah, it does sound like you guys are at the forefront in terms of the states. So, I mean, David, do you want to, do you want to talk through a little bit about what we're seeing here in Florida? Yeah, um, sure, Rob. Um, so, like Becky said, uh, Louisiana was definitely out front and out front of Florida. Um, that's for sure. But it's really, um, really ramped up in this last month or so. Um, you know, all states got their money at the same time from the Department of, of, of Treasury. And at that same time, um, you know, governments with populations over 500,000 also got direct payments from the Treasury. And that you know, did impact Florida because we have, you know, a handful of governments that do exceed that 500,000 uh, population limit. So the total amount that Florida received, $8.3 billion, um, 55% was kept at the state level, you know, same, as, um, same as Louisiana and same as our, our other states. Um, so the remainder, $3.7 billion, went to other local governments. And included in that was the large governments. So once you take the large governments out, there was then $1.3 billion left. Um, you know, for a while, you know, in Florida, there was a lot of confusion of, you know, how's that 1.3 going to happen? Um, you know, some of the smaller counties were saying, you know, these are these larger, our larger counterparts have already received their money. You know, they're doing great work in their counties, but, but uh, what about us? And then mid-June, um, the state of Florida did start to put out information and made it clear how they were going to handle it. And one of their first things that they said is, we're only going to deal directly with the remaining counties. So it was um, about 55 counties or so that they were going to deal directly, deal directly with. And they were going to allocate purely based on, on population. And it was going to be an application process. So those counties would complete an initial application. And they would get the first 25% of, of their money. And then for the remaining, it was going to be on a cost uh, uh, reimbursement basis for those counties. Now, what's important to point out is, um, you know, that money is going for the county and all local and all municipalities within that county. And the state in Florida, the state of Florida said it's up to the county. The county has discretion in how they want to allocate it further. So the state's only going to deal with the county. 
and the counties are responsible for how it's going to work uh, from there. Whether they pass any money further on to, to municipalities is really really up to them. Um, you know, one other kind of kind of nuance here is that the larger counties that got money directly from the treasury received their money back in late April. And there wasn't really communication at that point that this is also meant to serve to or to provide funds to the municipalities within. So, you know, in our state, we're dealing with kind of the local governments kind of battling the county level to say, well, you know, some of that money should come to us. We have eligible expenditures, um, you know, that qualify under the CARES Act. You know, and there, you know, there's a little bit of back and forth on how to deal with that funding. So something that we're really dealing with in Florida at this point. Yeah, just in comparing those two states, I'm seeing a huge amount of differences. I mean, for one, Louisiana, I think I heard Becky say, they allocated not only on population, but also on the number of positive cases. Is that correct, Becky? Yeah, it was 70% on COVID cases, so that the hottest spots got that money first. Yeah, and, and that's not something I've heard in other places very, very much. So that's a difference. You know, I think Louisiana didn't have any of those large uh, direct payments. So, so that was a little bit of a difference in Florida. Obviously, 12 of our counties got uh, direct payments in, in, in March, which, which uh, it wasn't happening in Louisiana. But I think I also heard, you know, so Becky, in Louisiana, the state will deal directly with municipalities, right? Not just the counties, but the the, the state, you know, the, the, the municipalities will also apply themselves to the state or are they having to go through the counties like in Florida? So in Louisiana, the direct filers are the parishes themselves as well as any cities, towns, uh, district attorney's offices, clerks of court, coroner's offices, and assessor's offices. Those are all... Um, considered direct filers, any other agency has to go through the parish. Okay. So vast majority, you know, of, of cases here, people, the vast majority of dollars will be applied for directly at the state level. Whereas, you know, in Florida, we, we it's just the counties dealing with the, with the states and everyone else has to go through the county. So that's a lot of burden Florida are putting on the counties. And, and to me, though, it just that comparison, Louisiana to Florida, just those two states, you already see a vast uh, variation in how it's being handled. So, so Ray, let's come to you. I, yeah, yeah, very different. Uh, Ray, let's come to you. I know you work in, in New Mexico primarily, but also a lot in Texas. So what, what are those states doing? You know, we're I'm kind of sitting back thinking, man, I wish we were as far as long as Florida and Louisiana, but <clears throat> New Mexico uh, has, we had some budget problems out here in New Mexico, you know, when oil and gas, we set the 2020, we have a June year in, we had 2021 budget based on oil being mid fifties, a gallon, I mean a barrel. And then uh, next thing we know, it's, you know, you had to, some people were, you're having to pay to get rid of it, you know, so uh, now it's settled in some, and but the the budget was decreased an incredible amount, and the state had to figure that out. They did get their money; they got one point two five billion dollars uh, allocated to them. Of course, just like everybody else, forty five percent of that goes to the local governments. Uh, some of that we've only have, we're a pretty small state, maybe just a touch over two million in the whole state people, and uh, only two places: Albuquerque and the 
Bernalillo County got any direct funding. And they got that a couple months ago. And you're starting to see some of that hit the streets. And uh, the people at the city of Albuquerque especially are doing a great job on getting that out and helping the individuals. But <clears throat> the, the remaining $380 million, um, it's just, it's kind of hard to find any information on what's going to happen there. And like I said, I think the, the Department of Finance and Administration is doing a great job. They just had other things that were more pressing, uh, i.e. the budget for uh, the year that just started, what is it now, 16 days ago. So uh, they got that hammered out and they got, uh, I'm sure there's some cleanup work on that part of it. But so that's, New Mexico really hadn't done a whole bunch on the local municipality level or the lo local county level, but uh, I'm sure they'll get to it here soon. Uh, we do know of some places have got some direct funding from FEMA or some of the other organizations uh, that had received some uh, federal money on that. As in Texas, they're, they're, uh, they're ahead of New Mexico, uh, but behind Florida and Louisiana. They've uh, taken a different approach. They got a pot full of money, and uh, they're going to pass out 20% of it to uh, the eligible local governments uh, up front, and then you have an application process to get the rest of your 80%. Uh, so that process hadn't started, or they, if they have, it just barely came out to 20%. Uh, but the, the process is getting going and uh, behind Louisiana and Florida, but uh, not too far behind them. So that's the latest out West. Good update. That, I mean, again, we're seeing two more, count, um, two more states with very different approaches and, and very different status. So, I mean, just in the four states we've discussed, no, no, no two are alike, and I imagine that's the case all, all over the place. Um, and, it, and it is the case from what we've seen from speaking to other people, but uh, it really just goes to show a lot of variation. It's really hard to track all the, the different procedures and, and, and requirements that, that the different states are applying. And this is just a, a really big, um, big burden to, to be honest, that, that the, the governments are, are having to deal with. And I don't envy them, else I'll say that. But as we, as we always do on our podcast, I, I always like to, to talk about the FAQ documents that the Treasury have put out. And, and since our last podcast, there's been a couple of updates. So a couple of questions popped out to me that I thought were good to cover and see if you guys have got some good answers for these FAQs. So I got a, I got a few here. Let, let's see what you guys think about these ones. And First one talks about you know the guidance uh, that the funding uh, the guidance provides that the funding may be used to meet payroll expenses for for public safety, public health, healthcare, human services, and similar employees. Right, so that's what this coronavirus relief fund is, is allowed to be used for. If the, those uh, those payroll services are substantially dedicated to mitigating and re or responding to the COVID nineteen emergency, so the question is. Can the money be used to cover an employee's entire payroll? Or do, do the governments have to allocate how much was for the uh, public health emergency and figure out how much time was spent on COVID, COVID work versus non-COVID work and, and kind of do an allocation and, and assign that payroll? So that was a bit of a garbled question the way I asked it. So hopefully someone understood what I was trying to get to. And, and, and anyone want to take a shot at answering that? I'll take this one, Rob. Um, I actually had some good experience with this in, in Louisiana, having gone through two different windows at this point. Um, the, the FAQ answer to this question is that 
you know, in order to, to, to help with administrative convenience and not to overload the governments that are trying to, to capture this information. They basically said the entire payroll cost of, of an employee whose time is substantially dedicated um, is eligible provided that the costs were incurred December 30th. And um, basically for public safety and public health, that is presumed to, to be an automatic thing. Um, here in Louisiana, they went a step further to say that if there's an administrative uh, personnel or duties involved in that department that we're including as public health or public safety, that that's not includable. But I believe that's an interpretation based on the FAQ guidance that's out there. There's really not a whole lot of guidance, really, other than the the, the FAQ answer. And so it's kind of left up to interpretation, unfortunately, as to, to when you read it, what does that mean? So some places are are saying, yeah, well, that means every stitch of, of public, anything that could possibly be public safety, including district attorney's offices and clerks of court and, you know, anything that would have some kind of element of them keeping criminals off the street. Um, and Louisiana actually came in and said, no, it doesn't include that specifically. Um, they're not allowing any of those additional type, what we might call public safety, but only the traditional uh, you know, fire department, police department, that kind of public safety. So um, this is, I think, going to be an implementation question that's out there for each of the the different um, counties and, and municipalities to answer for themselves due to the lack of guidance. Um, you know, we encourage everybody to to try to track this information as best as possible and be able to justify their position with whichever way they interpret it um, because there's, there's no guidance. Okay. No, that's, that's a good answer. You answered it a lot better than I asked the question. So but <laughs> to, 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 to recap, so you're, you're saying that, Hey, if somebody is substantially dedicated, then don't worry about allocating the time to COVID and non-COVID. Assume it's all COVID if they're substantially dedicated. So that's easy. That, that helps. But Yes, if you can support the position and explain why the position is substantially dedicated, you know, you repurpose that person or that kind of thing, then I take it to mean that you can use their entire payroll. And oh, Right. And if we have a public health or public safety person, they are presumed to be substantially dedicated. So again, they're kind of helping us out, making that, that one kind of easy. Um, unless, you know, some states that like you said would say, if you're public health or public safety administrative, then no, don't, don't make that assumption that they are substantially dedicated to COVID and therefore everything can be charged to the, to the, to the money. I think I've summarized that correctly, Becky. Did I get that right? Yeah, pretty pretty right. Um, to add to that, Rob, um, there's also a little, a few extra words after that in the FAQ response that says, unless the, the executive of the agency deems that it's not related to COVID. So it still kind of puts the burden back on 
the individual government to make the decision of do they feel like this really is eligible or not. Got it. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a really good thorough answer because that's going to be a big chunk of dollars and it's a complicated one. So I'm glad you've, uh, I'm, I'm very glad you've enlightened us. So thank you on that one. Next one I've got here, it asks, may recipients use the fund payments to remarket the recipient's convention facilities and tourism industry? And this one kind of hit me out of the FAQs because in Florida, tourism is a really big deal. So, so you know, remarketing convention facilities in the tourism industry, is, is that an allowed expense? Does anyone know? Yeah, Rob. So... You know, as you said, in Florida, this is a really big deal. So it's a question that we've been that we've been getting. And, you know, really with all these questions, you know, the thing to first start with is the kind of the overarching, uh, you know, purpose of the CARES Act is, you know, at a real, you know, at a real high level summarized kind of way is it's money that's that's needed in direct in, in response to the pandemic that kind of helps things get back on track in the short term. So when we think of that with this question on convention facilities and the tourism uh, industry, so if expenses are incurred to, to publicize that convention centers and, tur- and tourism related uh, areas are back open, um, that's absolutely allowed. If it's expenses to prepare those facilities to deal with the public health emergency, um, you know, kind of as an example, if you're going to be, partially open and there's some um, personal protection equipment that needs to be installed to make that partial opening um, safe for visitors, um, that those expenses are are, are allowed. Um, the FAQ kind of talks about, you know, some other things that are that are, are not allowed would be, you know, if a government um, kind of it decides that they're going to take a long-term plan, change their facility, um, change the convention center, repurpose things in, in the long term, that, that would not be an allowable uh, use of those funds because it's not in the, the real spirit of what the CARES Act money was for, uh, dealing with the public health emergency in the short term uh, prior to December 30th and kind of try and get things back as much to normal as possible in that short term period. That makes sense. That, that, that really does. Like you say, the spirit of the rule was uh, the spirit of the money was to, to to get it out the funding out there quickly and and for immediate needs. That's why they've put that uh, deadline It'll almost be almost be spent between March the first and the end of December. So yeah, and if you're trying to incur long term planning costs, I understand why that would not be allowed. So that, that makes sense. Good answer. Thank you. All right, I'm going to wrap it up with just one last one, and, and this is one we've had a lot from from clients because we are working and helping a lot of different people administer their money and and they're wondering this they wonder can fund payments be used for expenditures related to the administration of fund payments so you know in 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 our situation it's can the fees that that we charge to help with the administration can, can they be charged to the fund yeah hey rob i'll take that one this is ray the answer to your question is you bet the the payments that you get for the CARES Act, of course, is related to the CARES Act. And it's also wasn't budgeted before uh, the March number or March date. So just the threshold questions were answered correctly. So any th- any money that you spend, deal- any money you spend dealing with uh, the COVID crisis, 
can be reimbursed. So you're going to have administrative charges. You're going to hire consultants to come in or accountants to come in, whatever it might be. Any of those expenses that were uh, related to the COVID and not budgeted in March can be used. So the fees that, uh, for instance, car rigs might charge to help on these projects would be able to be reimbursed through uh, the CARES Act funds. Excellent. Nice, clear answer. And I'm glad. I know my clients are that I've been helping with this consulting work are very pleased that that is the answer that yes, the fees can all be charged and uh, covered by the coronavirus relief fund money. So, so that really uh, wraps up all the questions I've got for this episode. And, and again, Becky, we were thrilled to have you back after you've been working so hard uh, with helping places in Louisiana for the last few months. So uh, thank you for coming back and Ray and David, as always fantastic answers. And thank you for, for joining. I would just, like to sign off by kind of reminding everyone that we do have a number of articles on the, the COVID uh, funding questions and, and various COVID related matters on our website, CRICPA.com. So feel free to check those out. There might be some useful info for you. But other than that, thank you everyone for listening and, and have a good one. Bye-bye. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. 